I bring, it's kind of funny. I brought my sermon notes, but I didn't bring my Bible. Which is... probably have one of those. Alright, so we have been uh, working our way through Luke's Gospel. In particular, as Tim mentioned, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a sermon that Jesus taught to the masses that were following Him. And today we're going to get to its conclusion, and Jesus, uh, like any like any good speaker, Je- Jesus finishes his talk, finishes his sermon with a call to action, right? His, his message demands a response. There is a decision that has to be made because of what Jesus has said. And like any good speaker, uh, he uses an illustration. He uses a word picture to help us understand what a good response looks like. So if you would, let's turn to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 46. If you're using uh, the Bible that's there in the chair, it's page 863. Luke 6, verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This is God's Word. He gives it to us because He loves us. Let's ask for His help in understanding and applying it. Let's pray. God, not only are You a hearing God, but You are a speaking God. And You have given us this. And so, Lord, we pray for Your help in understanding it. God, that You would apply it to our hearts so that we uh, could follow Uh, so that we could follow you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My younger brother lived for a number of years in Dallas, Texas. Uh, And one of the houses that they lived in was in a suburb just outside the city. And uh, they learned something about uh, about the soil in Texas, particularly that part of Texas, uh, that when you buy a house, you want to make sure that there are these piers that support your foundation that go all the way down to the bedrock. Because the soil is such in Texas that uh, if you don't support the foundation, if you don't have these piers going down to the rock, then the foundation will actually move. Uh, And you'll see it in cracked floors, you'll see it in cracked walls. And that's what happened to my brother. They spent tens of thousands of dollars correcting that problem. And not only that, you actually have to, uh, you actually have to keep the earth around your home. You want to keep it saturated. You want to keep it wet because if it dries out and then gets wet again, it will shift. Uh, he told me a story about a friend of theirs who was fixing up a nice, older, an older home in downtown Dallas. And they spent lots of money on beautiful stone countertops. And then the foundation shifted and it cracked. The countertops. 
And so when you build a house, you want to make sure that it's well supported. And that's exactly the picture that Jesus gives us here. That if you don't properly support what you build, you're going to have problems later. And here's the promise that Jesus makes. And it's pretty straightforward. You probably caught it. That if you build your life on Jesus... If you build your life on Jesus, then it will be solid. It will be well built. Now that's simple enough to say. It's pretty straightforward. A life dedicated to following Jesus is well built. Got it, right? Capable of withstanding storms that come. And on the flip side, ignoring Jesus. A life that's spent ignoring Jesus will ultimately be ruined. Straightforward. And yet... Very bold. Uh, Hear the audacity. Listen to how exclusive Jesus' claim is. He's basically saying, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Trust me, follow me, and you're good. Don't trust me, don't follow me, and your life will face ruin and destruction. That's pretty audacious. What gives Jesus the right to say such a thing? Let's unpack it a little bit more, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at this little passage under, under three questions. First, who has your loyalty? Second, how are you building? And then third, what is Jesus calling you to? What is Jesus calling me to? And these three questions, there's really, there's really just one message. Uh, in this passage, and so we're going to just we're going to look at it through the lens of these three different questions, um, and hopefully it will become even more clear. So Jesus begins with this question: uh, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That word Lord can also be translated Master, so that's a title of authority, respect, leadership. Basically, if you call someone Lord, especially if you claim it twice, right? The, 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 the repetition denotes an emotional appeal. Lord, Lord. Now, if you're going to say that, if you claim that, then that implies that you respect the person that you're saying it to. That you want to listen to them. That you want to follow them. There's a great word that uh, we don't use much anymore. It's the word heed. It's a great, that's just a fun word to say, heed, right? And it means to listen closely, and it implies action as a result of listening closely. And that's what Jesus is calling people to, to heed what he says. In other words, truly, really trusting Jesus means listening and doing. If you're going to call someone Lord then you have to actually treat that person as Lord, right? You can't just use the title. You actually have to do the action that goes along with the title. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, ladies, imagine that uh, you make friends with someone who's recently moved to town, and she asks you, where do you get your hair cut? Now... I, I know you guys talk about things deeper than your hair, okay? That's just, it's just an illustration. I don't mean that disrespectfully. Just go with me, okay? She asks you where you get your hair cut, and you say, Oh, man, I love Elite Salon. Sally is the best. She, I don't think there's anybody named Sally there. Um, right? She can do wonders. She's amazing. I would never go anywhere else. 
And then the very next week, uh, your new friend walks into a different salon, and there you sit in a chair that does not belong to Sally. What inference could she draw from your actions? That maybe your words and your actions don't line up? That all of those nice and wonderful things you said really, really weren't true. Your actions speak louder than your words. Gentlemen, you're telling a friend that, uh, man, the only place that I buy my gear is from Brian down at the sports shop outdoors. He's got the best stuff. He's got the best prices. I would never go anywhere else. And then the very next week, he walks into the fishing hole, your friend does, and there you are, buying your gear from someone else, right? What judgment could he make regarding your words and actions? Maybe they would rightly conclude that your words don't mean very much, that whatever your mouth may say, your action reveals your real loyalties. And that's what Jesus is doing when he asked this rhetorical question, he's basically, he's calling these people out. Right? This is an uncomfortable question. Why do you call me Lord but not do what I say? Right? Jesus is asking them, is, is questioning their loyalty. And that's really our problem, isn't it? We are a people of divided loyalties. Uh, we want it both ways. We're tugged in multiple directions. We have fickle hearts. There's another great word. We have fickle hearts. Rather than serve one Lord, we want to serve many. And there's multiple ways that we do this. Uh, Some of us may hear what Jesus says and we might think this. And it's 2019. This is America. Why? All or nothing? Come on, Jesus. Surely, I should have more options than just two. Is my life not better off playing the field? I mean, Jesus has some good things to say, but there are other people too. There are other voices of wisdom. Jesus is not the only one. So, why limit myself? That's one way that you could uh, approach what Jesus says. Another way, and I imagine this is probably where most of us are, is that we're not actually making a self-conscious choice not to listen to Jesus. Instead, we're a little more passive in our approach. Uh, Rather than being intentional uh, in our relationship with Jesus, we kind of just allow other things to slide in. And so we end up compartmentalizing, right? breaking life into little boxes. So, Jesus has this part over here and my family over here. Jesus has this part here and and my work. Work is over here. And without making a conscious choice, now all of a sudden, we have more we, we're trying to uh, serve more than one Lord. Or maybe even you think this. What does Jesus have to do with the way I speak to my husband? What does Jesus have to do with the way I treat my children? What does Jesus have to do with my work at the plant? Jesus is over here. Work is over here. What does Jesus have to do with my money? Right? We become compartmentalized and Jesus is only Lord, right? We, we might say Jesus is Lord, But what we really mean is that he's my spiritual advisor. 
He's over here. Should I need him for anything? It's not the loyalty that Jesus calls for. And then maybe the most deceived of all are those of us, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that we are following Jesus, but really we're just using Him to kind of prop up our own agenda. We don't really stop and listen to Jesus. We just kind of use Him as a stamp on our cause or our ambitions. And so Jesus isn't really Lord, I am. And I need Jesus to get me, uh, to get me in the gate. But for Jesus, it's all or nothing. This is an exclusive claim. And that question, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you, it exposes our competing loyalties. Because what Jesus is doing is calling us to absolute loyalty to Him. And to help us see the cost of our condition, to help us see what we're really like, He uses this illustration of two builders. And he wants each one of us to ask, what kind of builder am I? What kind of builder am I? How are you building? How am I building? Now, the comparison, again, is really straightforward. He gives us two builders. One good builder, one not so good. Right? He says the person who comes to him, listens to him, and does what he says is like a man who builds a house and he digs deep. And he gets to the rock, and he builds the foundation on the rock. And so when the floods come, the house withstands the water. The house withstands the storm. On the other hand, there's a person who hears Jesus, but doesn't really do what he says. He ignores Jesus. He doesn't do anything with Jesus' words. And he's like a person who just builds his house right on the ground. Just lays it right on the ground. It reminds me that when we started renovating the sanctuary, one of the things... Now, this sanctuary is built on a foundation called a crawl space. Uh, at least the front part of it is. But as you go back that way, one of the things we discovered as we uh, started tearing things up was that uh, the original builders of this building just laid the wooden, uh, wooden frame on the back end just right on the dirt, which is not something you want to do in Alabama. Uh, not because of rains and floods, but because of these little bugs called termites. Right Now, water also has a corrosive effect. But So, uh, the person who ignores Jesus basically just throws his house up on the ground. And when the floods come, when the rains come and the flood comes, it crashes against the house and the house itself crashes down. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. Uh, first, there are two things that both of these, uh, both of these people have in common. The first thing I'll say is, is this. I want you to notice that everyone is a builder. Everyone. Every man, woman, boy and girl in this room and in the world is a builder. You are building a house. Right? It's a metaphor for life. You're building a house and you're building it on something. So it's not a question of if you're building, but it's a question of what are you building on. Everyone's a builder, whether you're religious or not, whether you want to wear a label or not. Some of us are proud of our labels, others hate them. Whatever, whatever your case may be, whatever you would say about yourself religiously, you're still a builder. You're building a house, you're building a life. And then the second thing they both have in common is this. Storms and floods are inevitable. 
Jesus doesn't say if the flood comes. He says when it comes. There will be a flood. What you have built, what you are building right now, will be tested. The ultimate flood, of course, will be the flood of God's final judgment. It's not a very popular thought, but it is a real one, and it's one that the Bible deals with. God's judgment at the end of time is described described as testing every man's work, a fire that purifies and reveals what will last and what won't. And so, the flood is coming. There will be floods. There will probably be more. And those floods, those storms, those trials will reveal the quality of your construction. You will, there will be storms and they will reveal just what it is you're building, what you're building on. Now, here's how they're different. I want you to notice uh, Jesus emphasizes different things about each builder. Uh, for the wise builder, that's what Matthew calls him in his version of this, uh, of this account. For the wise builder, Jesus emphasizes how well, or, or how deep rather, uh, the builder goes. Uh, in our translation, it says that he dug deep, but there's actually two verbs there. If we were to literally translate it, it would say, he dug and dug deep. The emphasis is on just how much effort this man was going to go to, how far down he went to find the rock. This man was intentional. He knew that the sunny skies weren't going to last. He knew to expect bad weather. He knew his house wouldn't last if he didn't anchor it on something solid. So he dug until he hit it. And then for the foolish builder, for the other person... Jesus emphasizes the collapse. Look at, uh, look at the last verse, in verse, uh, the last part of verse 49. Jesus spends most of his time emphasizing when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. It was not gradual, it was an immediate collapse. It didn't take long. And then he says this, and the ruin, literally the crash was great. You can almost hear the house collapsing under its own weight as the rain washes away the sand and dirt and gravel that it was built on. You can hear the house collapsing. And scary stuff. What's Jesus doing? It's meant to be a wake-up call. Jesus Jesus wants, right, there's a very real possibility in Jesus' day and in our day, right, that we can come to Jesus out of curiosity. Uh... Probably many in the crowd listening to Jesus found him curious, found him interesting, wanted to hear what he had to say. And Jesus says, it's not enough. It's not enough that you just listen, but you actually have to take me seriously. It's a question of lordship. What are you building your life on? Jesus is saying, it's not enough to admire me. It's not enough to find me curious or interesting. No, you need me. Which leads us to our third question. What is Jesus calling you to? What exactly is it that Jesus wants from us? What is the response? Now, it would be easy to read this and go, okay, uh, I need to try harder so Jesus will accept me. Right? He says, do my words, and so that must mean that I need to clean up my life so that Jesus will save me. 
That's not the message of Jesus. And that's not the message of Christianity. I want you to notice something about what Jesus says about the wise builder. In verse 47, He says, Everyone who comes to Me and hears My words and does them. Notice that the doing comes after the coming and the hearing. That Jesus Jesus is not saying, prove yourself to me so that I will save you. He's saying that when I save you, your life will prove it. That you cannot simply just say, Lord, Lord, but you actually have to be rooted in me. Let me ask it, let me let me approach it from a different way. Can the wise builder, after the storm, boast in his construction? Can he say, man, I just built a much better house than my neighbor? Jesus doesn't say that. What's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Is it the house? No, no, it's the foundation. It's not how they built, it's what they built on. The foundation is the difference. The rock is the difference. Christians aren't better people. God doesn't love Christians because they're nice and they have their act together. If you spend enough time around Christians, you know that's true, right? Uh, And actually, I know plenty of people who aren't Christians who are much nicer and much more generous, right? So clearly... Simply naming the name Christian is not the, dif- the difference maker. It's not necessarily our behavior. Rather, they're simply people who know that no matter how good their house may look, it can't stand up to the floods that come unless it's built on the rock. Something more solid, a firm foundation. And that's really the most astonishing claim of all. And this story may be so familiar to you that we've missed it. The most astonishing thing about what Jesus says is that He's the firm foundation. That He's he's the rock that cannot be moved. He's the only place you can root yourself. He's He's the only anchor point. Jesus is saying that if you... That if you root yourself in Him, if you come to Him, not as a guru, not as a consultant, not as a hobby, not as a spiritual advisor, but as Lord. He's not a guru. He's God. He's not a consultant. He's a king. And Jesus is saying, and this is, this is crazy unless it's actually true. Jesus is saying that if you come to Him, then your life will be solid and well built. And whatever may come, including the judgment of God, you will stand firm. The same Jesus... That means if you, if you actually trust Him, trust Him so much that you'll do whatever He says, then you will be rescued. The same Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 shows us that he's un- he understands what it means for us to live under divided loyalties. Right? He understands what it means for us to serve more than one master. He understands that's exhausting. This same Jesus who calls for our obedience, he makes another call as well. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, he says this, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So this is an active life. It's not a passive life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. See, not not only is Jesus the only Lord, but He's better than any other Lord you could choose. He's better than any other Lord you could make for yourself. He's the only one that offers rest. Come to Him. Know Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we say with the old hymn writer, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Father, would you break us? Break us of building our lives on ourselves, of giving our loyalty to way, a way to lesser lords, and drive us to you. Drive us to you to dig deep. To dig deep into you, to anchor our souls on you, to build our lives on you, so that we might be well built. Your promise is not an easy life. Your promise is not that if we come to you that there won't be any storms, there won't be any floods. It's not true. The floods will come. But Lord, if we are rooted and grounded in you, then we'll be safe. You care for us. You love us. Help us to repent of our competing lordships and to trust in you as our Lord and our Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.